All right. Well, again, good morning. Uh, those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian. Uh, I'm a lead pastor here at, at Hope Lower Town, and um, we've been here for about four and a half years now, uh, which is exciting, and still still uh, got some of our training wheels on, still working on some kinks. Uh, COVID uh, was fun, uh, but we're, we're trying to figure things out again here as we, we get back to normal, and so... Uh, Anyways, thank you for, for being here. And if you're checking out Hope, if you're, you're checking out Christianity, um, thank you for being here. And uh, hopefully you can uh, learn a little bit more about Jesus today and, and uh, fall in love with him the way that uh, I know I am. So I want to start by asking a question, and, and, and I'm going to do something here that's going to make some of you uncomfortable, and I'm okay with that. Uh, <laughs> and that is, remember, remember back in the day, remember back in the day we used to talk to each other uh, before the service, what we used to do? is we used to turn and we used to greet our neighbor, all right? And so if you're uncomfortable, especially with COVID, I understand that, you know, you can, you can, you know, go, go, I don't know, go to the restroom or something. Um, but we used to turn and greet our neighbor and we'd give you kind of an icebreaker question, but I, I thought I would kind of tie in that question to the sermon uh, right now. And so uh, I'm going to ask you a question and, and I'll give you, you know, and it could be it just going to give you a couple minutes, not even, you know, a minute or two, uh, just to kind of talk with your neighbor about it. And then we're going we're gonna to jump into the sermon. So the question that I have for you that I want you to discuss with somebody next to you, and it uh, could be a spouse, could be somebody new. Um, and what, what you do normally when you meet someone is you say, hi, my name is Brian. Um, and then they respond with their name. And then you can just jump right into the question, okay? It's, it's actually quite simple. Um, and yet so profound, uh, okay? So uh, let's just start with that. So here's the question. Have you ever uh, had someone do something for you or something be done, or whatever it may be, um, that made you want to do that same thing as well. Okay, so let me give you a couple examples. Have you ever, uh, somebody went skydiving, and they had just an awesome time, you're like, man, I gotta go do that, right? Maybe you had a really good uh, fourth grade teacher, uh, Mrs. Gilmartin was my fourth grade teacher, uh, and, and, and you were like, man, I, she just meant so much to me, and so it actually motivated me to want to be uh, a teacher, uh, maybe you went to someone's house, you were stayed there as a guest, and they had in their bathroom, kind of like, felt like a hotel, you know, with all the, the little toiletries and whatever, it just made you feel a little more, more comfortable. And you're like, you know what, I'm going to go home and do that same thing. All right, so I want you to go ahead and meet your neighbor, just talk, just again, like one or two minutes real quick. Is there anything, you don't have to tell a big grand story, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and give you, give you a minute now and go ahead and, and meet your neighbor and talk about that. So go ahead.
All right, we'll bring it back here. Feel free to continue uh, those conversations afterwards as we, uh, when we meet in the fireside room. But yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of different things. I, I was just telling John, I remember, um, this was years ago, but uh, I was listening to a pastor, I was probably in college, and he was, uh, he was with, with, he was a guest at somebody's house, and they were, they were looking at this, they were like stone fruit made of alabaster, it was from Egypt, and, and it was kind of, the, they were just like their prized possession, and, and the, my pastor said that as he was looking at it, he, he dropped it, and it just shattered it, right, and it just obviously felt terrible, but the person's response was, you know, it's okay, in our house we care about people, not possessions, and I just thought that's really that's a that's a really good thing to remember, you know, whether there's something that I I value of like yeah, it's really actually not a big deal in the grand grand scheme of things. My kids probably don't feel I feel that way, but uh, um, I try at least. So, all right, we're going to be kicking off a new series. We just finished Hosea, and, and I think this actually um, uh, lines up well. Not that we necessarily planned it out this way on purpose to line up, but Hosea, so much of it is about idolatry and my heart. And, and so we're going to be, this sermon series is called Entrusted, and looking at how we have been entrusted by God with certain gifts. And so we have it just try kind of an easy way to try to remember the four T's of time, treasure, talent, and ticker, uh, our heart. And that's where we're going to focus on, on specifically today. So let me just briefly give you uh, maybe the Cliffs Notes version, or the Spark Notes. Is there a is there like a like a Team Cliffs and a Team Sparks? Is that like a is there no not a thing? Um, I only did Cliffs Notes. That was before Google. You know, once Google, that was like a very that was a short fad of of companies that that tried to cheat for high schoolers, I guess. Um, entrusted though, this is kind of the the uh, the little um, kind of Cliffs Note here is this stewardship speaks of two critical realities. Number one, God is the owner of everything, period. Number two, God entrusts us to oversee some of his most precious gifts. In the four-week series, we will learn more concerning the stewardship of God's creation and gifts, and more importantly, we will worship more deeply the one who owns it all. So today, what we're going to be doing is really laying the groundwork. We're going to be looking at heart, specifically the ticker. And yet, what we're going to do is this is going to lay the groundwork then for how our heart in the right place. And following after the Father's heart then impacts my time, impacts my treasure, impacts my, my talents. Uh, I was talking with Pastor Drew. I spent a lot of time with him this last week, and I'll, I'll mention that maybe, maybe not. But I drove down to Chicago with Pastor Drew. He's the lead pastor in Columbia Heights. And he was like, well, I kind of have the advantage because he's had uh, heart surgery, open heart surgery, and he has a, a plastic valve that actually ticks. <laughs> so he always just holds the microphone up to his heart. And he's like, no, it literally is a ticker. Uh, you, can, you can hear it. Um, and so we're going to be looking at the heart this morning. Um, one thing that I've been doing uh, for the last couple months, like maybe once a month, I've been meeting up with um, a, a very large church, a mega, mega, mega church uh, in the cities here, Eagle Brook. They have a, a cohort, their larger campus. They're kind of on the, on the outer ring outside of the, of the cities, outside of the loop. And, uh, you know, there's maybe, give or take, 20 to 50,000 uh, members of their church. So it's very large. Uh, but I have been gleaning from them uh, not like, hey, let's, let's be the next Eagle Brook, uh, but just in, in just how they've been doing things. And I've been taking some, some classes just to develop my own leadership, and it really has been uh, exciting. I've been learning a lot, 
Um, and so I've, I'm, I'm going to walk through something right now that, that I, I, I took from them and kind of adapted it to make a little bit more sense in our context. Um, and so uh, we're going to want to walk through this. Uh, this is what we could call it life in the church or life as a believer, except the first one is, is somebody who maybe is not a follower of Jesus. And so uh, don't get caught up in, in uh, the life of, and then it says a guide to there on the top. Uh, this was just, I think this was a, uh, what do you call it? A template. And I just didn't change that. So don't worry about a guide to, I forgot to delete that. Okay. Uh, so this is uh, just the life in the church uh, for anybody, whether I'm exploring my faith, that's kind of the first, the first aspect is exploring my faith. Um, that we can see uh, this is just somebody who's checking out Christianity. I know that's really small in the font, uh, but checking out Christianity. Uh, what does it actually mean to be a Christian? I know uh, I can watch the news, and I think I know what it means to be a Christian, but, but maybe there's something more to actually being a follower of Jesus that I don't find on the news um, or from professional athletes or musicians or whatever it may be. And so, uh, but what's interesting, though, is that we look at exploring the faith that all of us have been here or are here, that we're either exploring our faith or we're trying to grow in our faith or, or we have already done this, that we were dead in our sins, whatever language we wanna use, and we went from death to life. We went from darkness to light when it comes to following Jesus, but we have been exploring the faith. And I'm telling you, if you're in this category today, over and over in scripture, it says that today is the day of repentance. And this is for everybody. And I mean everybody. We can see in Scripture, in Acts chapter 16, we have these two people, Paul and Silas, these really, uh, uh, Paul, the apostle, and Silas, kind of his, his uh, Robin to the Batman, maybe, uh, for, for an illustration. And, and they're preaching the gospel of Jesus. They're wanting everyone to know about Jesus, and they get arrested for it, and they're in a Roman jail. And as they're in this jail and they're, they're being persecuted, they're, they're actually literally chained up. And what they used to do, when they, Romans uh, weren't, uh, weren't the greatest. Uh, they weren't the kindest when it came to prisoners. So when Paul in his letters says, I was bound in chains, it doesn't mean I was just chained up. They would take uh, poles, big poles, and chain them to poles and put them in really uncomfortable, contorted positions. So you can imagine the muscle cramps you would get and you couldn't move. Right? That's, so they're bound in chains in that way. And an earthquake happens and all the doors, this prison open up and everyone leaves except Paul and Silas. They stay there. They remain in their cell. They don't flee the way everybody else does. And a Roman guard, the one who's in charge of all of it, who's probably going to be executed for, some, for all the guards, for all the people escaping, he comes running through the cells and he sees Paul and Silas there, that they remain and his first question to them as a Roman guard, as a, as a Gentile, as somebody who's non-Jewish, goes to them, one who is worshiping who knows how many other gods and how many other different ways, goes to Paul and Silas, and the phrase that he asks is, what must I do to be saved? And their response is the same as everybody in Scripture is repent and believe. We are told of other stories of a gentleman named John, or excuse me, uh, Nicodemus. Uh, we are told of this story in John chapter 3. Nicodemus is a high-ranking religious official that he knows the law. He observes the law. He's just a good person according to Jewish traditions. He obeys law. He probably has the first five books of the Bible memorized. We can hardly recite just the names of the first five books of the Bible. He's religious to the nth degree, and he's so afraid of how his other religious people are going to view him that he goes to Jesus at night. And I've shared this joke before, but I'm proud of it. This is where we get the first episode of Nick at night. Uh, so thank you. <laughs> 
Thank you. Uh, right, and so Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night because he's afraid, and he says, and Jesus tells even this religious leader, you must be born again. You need to be born again. And I wonder how many of us are in this category. I'll say, man, my whole life, I've just kind of gone through the motions of being religious, but I've never actually had a heart change. I've never actually confessed my sin and put my faith and my trust in Jesus. Maybe we're ashamed of that. Maybe we're in that category, but we don't even know how to talk about it. We don't know how to explain that. You must be born again. We can look at Acts chapter 8. And we can look at, at Philip, uh, he's an apostle, and he's just going along for a stroll, and he comes across an Ethiopian eunuch who's sitting in the back of his chariot, and he's reading the book of Isaiah, an old prophet, and he's reading this. And so Philip goes up to him, and he says, do you even understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says, how can I, unless somebody explains it to me? And so they read the passage, and then the eunuch asks this most profound question, is Isaiah, is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? And Philip says, no, he prophesied about the Messiah, about Jesus. And the eunuch receives Christ. But when we look at these three different individuals, you see a Roman soldier, a hardened war vet who would have been stationed there, a Gentile. We see a Jewish religious leader, and we have this, this eunuch here who's going to be religiously different, ethnically very different, and even sexually different, albeit forcibly different, and yet, the Jew, Philip, goes and says, I want you to know about Jesus. That's the heart of God. And this is for everybody. So they're exploring our faith, and we see this in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read a little bit from Acts chapter 2. We're kind of a little bit all over the New Testament today. When we read Acts chapter 2, it says this, and I'll have all the scripture on the screen, but if you want to try to follow along, feel free to do so. Acts chapter 2 says this. Peter replied, he's preaching to a, to a large group of people, and he says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you. <laughs> whether you've been following this Yahweh, whether you've been, you're Jewish, whether you're a Gentile, whatever you are, whatever language you speak, whatever ethnicity you are, I want all of you to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ of forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accept his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So as we continue along, we have this first circle of exploring faith, and the second circle is going to be this new believer. But in between that, we have the cross of Jesus Christ, that something happens where we die to sin, we die to it. And we say, I'm no longer controlled by sin. I've been set free by the blood of Christ. I'm no longer held accountable for my sin. I have been washed by that. What Luther called the great exchange, that I'm going to wear the righteousness and the purity of Jesus, and he's going to take my sin, and he's going to send it as far away as the east is from the west, which is infinitely gone. And so we enter into this life of a, of a new believer, and I'm not trying to categorize anybody in here. And so if you're listening, you're like, oh man, I wonder where he thinks I am in these categories. I'll explain that a little bit. I'm not thinking about anybody that way. I'm thinking about myself this way. As a new believer, and we could maybe gauge this by years or you know, one to three years or whatever we want to call it. This is when the life of Christ and becoming a Christian is really exciting. Right? You remember those days? You remember like 
like receiving Jesus and you just could not shut up about Jesus, right? You're watching a football game and someone throws a flag and you're like, that flag reminds me of the penalty of sin and Jesus saved me, right? We get so excited about it, right? We're learning new things. We're, we're reading books. We're, we're so passionate about learning more and theology. And, and so the little subheadings are there. Maybe join a small group. We, we pursue membership. We want to really understand what it means to be baptized, and specifically as a Baptist, by, by believers' Baptist, I believe, and now I want to outwardly explain and display this inward reality that's happened, this change of my heart, and it's so exciting. And then as we continue along this path, then we get into the growing phrase, phase, that we're pursuing Christ. And I would say this is the majority of people who attend churches, not just this church, but all churches, and it's hard to put a year, year thing on this, but I think this is a lot of people that we are, are growing. Uh, we're, we're going through maybe even the motions, right? We start going through these motions because we know like this is how Christians should act. And we kind of lose that awe that we have of the blood of Christ. We lose that awe and we start to get stagnant. And we just start going to church because that's what Christians are supposed to do. We tithe or we give money to the church because that's what Christians are supposed to do. I volunteer because that's what Christians are supposed to do. Whatever it may be, and we lose this passion that we see in new believers. And I think if, if anybody has been here, and the Apostle Paul as well, I think was here. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those things I do. Well, that sounds like Tuesday to me. We just constantly, I mean, I know what I, what I really want. My heart has changed, and yet it just becomes the next day and the next day and the next day. I don't pursue a relationship with God the way I once did. I don't hunger and thirst for his word. I don't spend time in prayer. I don't pray for others. I don't tell others about him. We become a little bit stagnant. And the last spot would be this idea of Christ-centered or gospel-centered, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, centered on the gospel. And again, it's because something shifts. There's something between this growing Christian and a Christ-centered Christian that no longer am I doing this because I have to or I should or I ought to. I do this now because I, I want to. I, I get to. Something shifts Again, as we look and just reading the next verses there in Acts chapter 2, we're actually going to see all three of these uh, life, the stages of a believer represented in Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. We could maybe, those, these are new, all of them are new believers, but we're going to see some maturity in them. We're going to see some growth in them. Everyone was filled with awe. At the many wonders and the signs performed by the apostles, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. We could see the treasure wrapped up in this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple and the courts. We could see their time. They broke bread in their homes together with glad and sincere hearts. It's not out of obligation or duty. It's purely out of joy praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. And so if we can go back to this picture that there's this 
shift, that in between exploring faith and a new believer, we have this cross that represents dying to sin, but then we have this, in between the other circles of growing and being Christ-centered, we have this cross. That's not dying to sin. We did that. We've already entered from death to life, but there's something that happens where we now die to self, and that changes everything. Jesus is the hero of the story. Jesus should always be the hero of the story, but I do want to share my story, not to say, hey, I want you to be like me, do it like the, hey, if you didn't do it like the way I did, well, then what's wrong with you? I'm not, I'm not saying that, but there was a time in my life where I could look back at both of those crosses, that I can look back at a time when I remember going to my dad and saying, dad, who is a, who is a believer, dad, I need to know Jesus. I want to I wanna be forgiven of my sins. And it wasn't out of fear of, of hell or judgment. It was because I realized how much God loved me that he sent his only son to die for me, to save my soul. And I said, I want that. And my dad explained that to me. And from that day, from that moment, I went from death to life that all of my sins, past, present, and future had been forgiven, but I kept sinning. I kept living and I was struggling. And, and, and now we all are. But then there became this moment, I remember I was, uh, I, I, might have been, I might have been newly married or not even married yet, but I, I was uh, introduced to a mentor of mine, still a good friend uh, to this day, John Bricker. He lives in Normal, Illinois, uh, where Angela and I, I know Normal, Illinois, I know it's very, very, very plain, um, just normal. Uh, not regular, normal. And uh, we lived down there for a while, and I was introduced to him. He's a pastor of Acts 29 Church, so similar to us, and and I didn't even know what Acts 29 was. And he, he had me go home and read a little book about the gospel. And I remember reading it and going back to him and be like, that was, that was a really dumb book. Like, I don't, like, that had to have been the dumbest book I've ever read. We already have the Bible. The Bible already talks about the gospel. And he said, yeah, but do you understand the person who wrote this little book about the gospel wrote that book to his church? And he had me, he said, what, what verses do you know about the gospel? And I was like, oh man, repent and believe and going through what we call the Romans road if you grew up uh, you know, as a, you know, in the church and, and that I, I must confess my sin and he's faithful and just forgive me of my sin. All these verses, then he said, okay, what do all those verses have in common? And the common denominator of all the verses that I said about the gospel were all written to the church. They weren't written to unbelievers. They were written to people who already believed it. And in that moment, something clicked that I needed that cross. I needed the gospel not just to, to die to sin, what theologians will call justification. I'm now justified before God. But I now also believe that same gospel every day, and I have to die to self. Again, what theologians call sanctification. It's a daily process. And when I mean daily, I mean daily. Because you can look at these four circles and you may get say, okay, where, where am I on this chart? Am I, maybe I am exploring my faith. Maybe I'm a new believer. Maybe I'm growing. No, I think I'm Christ-centered. Well, I can tell you what, depending on the hour and the minute, I could be in any one of these four circles. Right? I act certain ways. I act as, as somebody who's not a follower of Jesus. I make decisions that are entirely selfish, that I'm not thinking about others. I'm not thinking about God. There are times where I'm a new believer and I'm just so excited about something. My mind is blown and I'm just so excited to dig into God's word and read something about him. It's so exciting. And then there are other times where I'm just like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Cool. I'm going to go through the motions. Yep. I'm going to set up. I'm going to set up soundboard. I'm going to make coffee. I'm going to, I'm going to work in the nursery. I'm going to write my sermon. I'm going to do this thing, right? I'm going to go to this class just because that's what we should do, right? That's what Christians do. And then there are times, there are moments and days 
I'm like, man, I need to die to myself because it's not about me. That God gave me this life. He gives me breath. And it's because of that changed heart that motivates me then to want to talk to people about exploring their faith. And it's the cyclical thing, even, and nobody's arrived. Right? It's not like all of a sudden I've died to self and all of a sudden I'm perfect. Hey, all of you growing Christians, you need to be like, no, no, that's terrible. Nobody's arrived as we constantly daily pursue Christ. So I want to look at our heart. Let's look at your heart. And I want you to examine your heart. You might say, Brian, you don't know me. You don't know my heart. And that's probably true. I don't. Even if I've known you for a long time, I don't know if I know your heart. Why? Because I don't know if I know my heart. Jeremiah tells us that our heart is desperately wicked. Our heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So maybe I don't know you. Maybe you don't know yourself. I always think of a Beatles song. Remember the Beatles? You probably don't know. I mean, you know, Paul McCartney and them. They were kind of a big deal uh, back in the day. And, uh, but they had this song called Eleanor Rigby. And one of the first lines is Eleanor Rigby wearing a face that she keeps in the jar by the door. Who is it for? I just want to sing it, right? But I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to hurt your ears that way. Right, but we do that. We, we, we put some pretend face on. Oh, this is how Christians act. Slap this pretend face on. Who, what are we doing? Because God does know us. We're not fooling anybody. We might fool people, but we're not fooling God. He gave us that heart. Other passages talk about how the Israelites and we do the same thing. We do what's right in our own eyes. I'm just going to do what I think is right in this situation because that's what I want to do. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, my four-year-old, that anytime I try to coach him or teach him on anything, he's just, I want to do it the way I want to do it. And that's what we do. All right, he's doing swim lessons right now, right? Hey, you got to swim this way. No, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. No, it doesn't work that way. I have a video of that. It's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> so as we get back to this, this life of the of the church, and we see this idea of dying to self, that when you die to self, there's something that changes. There's something that changes in our hearts. Something happens to us, and we start to actually see the heart of the Father. We start to get to know the creator of all things, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And what is the heart of the Father? Is that while you were a sinner, he died for you. And that should that should change our hearts. Not to, out of obligation or duty, yeah, you died for me, so I guess I owe it to you to be nice to people. No, it's a change. When you experience something firsthand, it motivates you. Not out of obligation or duty, but it motivates you to do for others what has been done for you. I had you uh, ask if you've seen other people do something or witness something in your life and, and, it, and it made you maybe change to do something. I, I will never forget, uh, uh, I was a server, a waiter uh, back in the day. I worked at three different restaurants actually, but one of them was in South Carolina called Joe's Crab Shack. Uh, it was actually a lot of fun. If I could pick like, like a really fun job, it actually was a lot of fun working there at, at Joe's. Uh, and I hated uh, crab, but it was still a fun job. Not my thing. So much work. Why do I got to work to eat? You know what I mean? Like, it's not, I'm not a caveman. Like, what, something happened here, you know? 
anyways, I remember though there was one evening where I was working and and uh, and if you've ever been a server, it's it's very stressful. It's a, it's a high stress job, but there's some good reward. It's a good paying job uh, for having you know very little skill other than knowing how to talk to people and balance dishes. And um, and so I, I remember though uh, there's one evening where where a gentleman was like, hey, can I have some free ice cream? And I was like, no, like I can't. I can't just give you like you can order it. And he's like, yeah, you know, but it's my you know, it's my birthday. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that. Prove it. You know what I mean? Let me see some. All right, if there's, I'll give you a free scoop. I can probably ring it. He's like, well, just ring it up anyways. And I'm like, I can't, I can't. He's like, well, just go and make it. Just go make me a Sunday. And I'm like, I'm not, I can't do that, right? I got to ring it up. And if my manager sees me making a Sunday, that was not rung up. I could get fired. Like that's, it's called stealing, right? I can't, I can't do that. And he was very rude and just got really mad at me for not making my free uh, Sunday. And I was confused. And then he left and didn't leave me any tip, right? Uh, and I was just very confused by the whole situation. All right, fast forward to now I'm a patron and I have a server. Something changed in my heart that I know the stress they're under. I know how hard it can be and how unrewarding it can be and how mean people can be that it's changed, that I'm kind, I'm patient. I don't send food back even if I see them spitting it. I just, I just, I get it. I get it. It's stressful. You should be spitting in my food, right? Uh, <laughs> that's not true. Don't, don't do it, right? But there's, there's part of me that's like, no, my, my heart, even in that one little thing has changed how much more is it that Jesus gives his life and dies for me so that I can die to self and I can help other people, not just to simply be selfish all the time. That we have a heart change. Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter nine. It says, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. John the Baptist was one of Jesus' cousins who was a little bit older, and he, he went out into the wilderness and started a, a megachurch before that was a thing, out in the desert. And people were following him, and he was really popular. And then he got beheaded uh, by King Herod, or, and, and Herod the Great. And so uh, bad things happened to him. And so some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, right, this prophet of old who's doing these miracles. And still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. And then Jesus then turns to his disciples that are next to him. He says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. We use that word a lot in our culture, Messiah. We sing it a lot. We're about to sing a lot of Christmas songs. Angel and I just started listening to Christmas music yesterday. Uh, and uh, it's, it just feels so good. Right? It's, just, it's so fun to listen to Christmas music. Um, even though there's no snow, it's just it's good times, right? Um, but we have this idea of Messiah. It just becomes a word, right? Yeah, Jesus, the Messiah. Messiah was God's chosen one, the anointed one, the one who is going to set his people free. And Jesus is God's Messiah. That it's not about some religious or national thing that God's going to make some nation great, uh, that he's going to go after people's hearts and their souls. It continues, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. He hadn't quite, he was not quite ready for people to know that he actually is the Messiah because he knows it's going to cost him his life. And he said, the son of man, that was an Old Testament title for the Messiah. That was Jesus' favorite title for himself. The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Then he said to them all, 
whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. What's the word there? Daily and follow me. Jesus here is not talking about, I want you to believe in me and have life, right? This theological term of justification. I want you to be saved. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the life of a believer that wants to pursue Christ, that wants to have a heart that is devoted fully to Jesus. And you need to do this daily. Crosses are not easy. Jesus is not, not being, being light with this and flippant. I remember when I was uh, back in college, I used to go hunting and I had these um, gloves that had, uh, you could snap back the mitten uh, of the part of the glove and it, would, and it had magnets, right? Um, and, uh, and I remember though, we were out all by ourselves, and I was following my, my compass and I didn't realize um, that the magnets were really messing with my compass to keep me, keep me on track. And I was videotaping the whole thing and video, like actual like camcorder, like, like big camcorder, like, uh, cause it was, it's actually pretty funny. But I remember though, in that moment realizing I am really lost, <laughs> right? Uh, I don't have a walkie talkie, no cell phone. I'm like, I am, I am lost. And I just, and I remember looking at the camera and I go, well, it's my cross to bear, <laughs> right? That's not a cross, right? That's not, that's a, that's a light way of thinking of a cross of saying, I want to be like Jesus and I'm going to set my preference aside for other people. Why? Because that's what he does for me. We do this daily. And Jesus then says in verse 24, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self or their soul. There's a missionary, his name is Jim Elliott. He was a missionary to Ecuador. He has this quote where he says, it is, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott, we could talk more about him, but he goes to Ecuador to be a missionary and ends up being killed by the, by the people that he went to try to tell about Jesus. And he says this, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'm not telling you all to go be, be missionaries and to, and to be martyrs. It's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm trying to say. If you want to do that, we can talk about that later. Don't, don't just go do that. Let's talk about it first, all right? But this way of living, though, to some people, I remember sharing this with somebody of this self-sacrifice, of, of setting my preference aside, of dying to self. And I remember that individual looking at me in the face and saying, that just sounds terrible. Why would you ever want to live that way? You don't ever get to do anything for yourself. You don't get to live for yourself. It's always about other people. It just sounds terrible. And you know what? If I don't know Jesus, it is terrible. I can't fathom that. But I don't think that when we have that kind of understanding that we think this is terrible, why would I set my preference aside that we don't understand the gospel? We don't understand fully what it is that Christ did for me that he set his preference aside, that he takes on flesh, he takes on a human body so that I can have eternal life. Talk about setting preferences aside. He dies a horrific bloody death so that I might have eternal life. And again, this isn't, okay, he did that for me, so now I owe it to him. No, I get to do this. I can't, I don't, I can't owe God anything. He already paid for it. It's paid for. It's like going to somebody who, who paid off your debt. So you have a house mortgage or whatever, and someone goes and they pay off the debt, and then you go to the bank and you say, I, I want to pay the debt still. And they're like, no, it's, it's been paid. You, there's nothing to pay. Well, no, no, I, I really want to, I owe this to you. No, you don't. It's been paid. 
That's exactly what Christ does for us. Let me read one last passage here. Uh, that was a lie. I've got two more passages. But Mark chapter 7, Jesus, again, is, is going to be talking here. A story about Jesus says the Pharisees, these teachers of the law, very religious people. And some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. What's happening here? This is 2,000 years ago. Uh, they did not understand germs the way that we do today. There's nothing about this washing of hands that is the way we would make our children or we should uh, go and wash our hands before we go eat, right? We use soap. That's not what's happening. They would have a pitcher and they would ceremonially like, show, I'm demonstrating, I'm being washed, I'm being cleansed. And so they would take a pitcher of water and they'd wash it over this hand, they'd keep it up and then they would take it and they would do the same thing. They'd keep it up and they wouldn't dry it off with a towel. They would just let it kind of air dry, ceremonial saying, but this is not a biblical teaching. Nowhere in the Bible is it said, you need to do this before every single time before you eat. Maybe some of the Levites, some of the priests, but not an average person. And they held to these traditions. So the Pharisees and the teacher of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? So they know this is extra biblical teachings. There is two books written by the Jews called the Mishnah and the Talmud. They didn't want to break the Levitical laws. They didn't want to break these laws in the, in, the, in, the, in the Old Testament. So they wrote another book, the Mishnah, to keep them from breaking those laws. And they wrote another book called the Talmud to keep them from breaking the laws in the Mishnah, to keep them from breaking the laws in the, Talmud, in the, in the Pentateuch, in the Bible. That's, that's law. That's legalism. And so what they're doing is they're saying, you're not obeying these laws that I've set up for myself. So you're guilty of breaking these laws. And Jesus replies, Isaiah this prophet was right when he prophesied about you, hypocrites, as it is written, those people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human tradition. And I wonder what it is, what our traditions are. We might not necessarily have these traditions within church, to think, oh, well, maybe, maybe it is. Maybe for some of us, I go to church every week, and if people don't go to church every week, judgment, right? I read my Bible, and I pray every day, and if you don't do that, you are less than, right? What? It's, not, it's not there. It's not in the text. Because it shouldn't be out of obligation. It should be out of, out of worship, a heartfelt worship for God to do these things, to pursue a relationship with God. But let's bring in the 21st century. One thing that's going around right now, popular in a lot of churches, is this thing called Shabbat or Shabbat Shalom, right? This idea of Sabbath rest, that we're not going to obey Old Testament Sabbath, but man, I, I need to Sabbat. I need a, I need a, a Sabbath of my own. I need to, I need to rest. I need, some, I need some me time. I just need to take a year off from everything and focus on me. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to, there's a time and a place, for, especially for mental health, uh, you can consult Aaron Rodgers on that if you need to. Uh, sorry, too soon, way too soon. Um, uh, geez, why do I do that? Uh, and derailed, uh, right? But there are times, 
there are times where we, we do need to take a day off. We need to focus on ourselves. And then everyone who's a parent, you're like, mm, yeah, I, when, well, I, no, I can't do that, right? When they turn 18 and they're out of the house, then I'll take a day off, right? Uh, that's, just, that's just life, right? But to put this pedestal, and again, looking at Hosea, this idol of me time, is that a man-made thing? Maybe it's uh, the phrase of, well, does it make you happy, right? Just do what makes you happy. You got a job, you don't really like it. Well, hey, man, you quit that. Just do what makes you happy, right? Man, if I I did what made me happy, my kids would be walking around in poopy diapers all the time, right? Like you can't can't just always do what makes you happy. There are times where you make a sacrifice for yourself for the good of others. And we got to do that. Again, not out of obligation with our, our life, but... We might say, and we might start complaining about, well, I don't like our worship. I don't like the way we do communion. I don't like this old building that we're in. I don't like the bathrooms. Well, you can complain about the bathrooms. That's legit. It's about our heart, always. It's about our heart towards God and towards others. Jesus then, as he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God. So here, Corbin is this man-made rule that they had. Corbin was this idea, I'm going to honor God by giving all of my money and my finances to the temple and to God And so I might have mom and dad who can't take care of themselves. They're living in poverty. And people are saying, hey, how come you're not honoring your father and mother, which is a command in the Old Testament. And they're saying, oh, because Corbin, there's this man-made rule that I've already given it to God. So I can't, I don't have to give it to them. Then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. And I think we do. The, the things I just mentioned, I think that we, we put these man-made rules and we neglect our hearts in the process of following Jesus. Jesus finishes again. He called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing, nothing outside of a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. My true desires of my heart will be exposed, period. And I can tell you from experience, you can look at my life, I can look at your life, and I can, we can, if we had a way to look at and examine our time, how we spend our time, how we spend our money and our treasure, how we, how we use our talents, that we can very quickly look at a person's heart. And again, this isn't some way of examining and saying, oh, you're not worthy. No, none of us are worthy. We all need Jesus. And we all need the heart of the Father to change us. So how do we pursue the heart of the Father? How do we do this? I want to look at Joel chapter 2. Minor prophet, he says this, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart. This has always been true of all the scriptures. It's always been about the heart. Even looking at Hosea that we just went through that I desire mercy and justice, right? There's not, it's not about doing something. I want your heart to be in this. Isaiah in 57 or 50, 58 talks about this fast. What is the fast that I want? I don't want you just to, to look like you've been covering yourself in, in ashes and wearing scratchy clothes and woe is me. I want you to care for people. It's about your heart. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments, 
Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. It's about my heart. It's, it's actually pretty fascinating. I was reading this passage, this idea of rending, tearing my heart. It's been a new thing. I don't know how new it is, but I, I, it's new to me. Uh, and so it's new uh, in the science world. Uh, that They've actually discovered that if there's a scar, instead of making a straight line for an incision, it's actually better to rip it, to tear it, and the body has a much better natural way of healing those scars than as if it was just a quick, clean cut. And it's, but it's painful, right? There are times if you ever had a splinter, right? You got to like get a needle and you got to like do more damage than what the damage was done by the splinter so that you can avoid further damage by the splinter, right? You got to do some damage so we can heal better. I use damage way too much in that sentence. God wants us to do that so we can properly heal and love him and care for him and pursue him. So how do we daily pursue the father's heart? Spend time with him. Spend time with him. Not, not out of law, not out of duty, out of obligation. I love my wife and I want to spend time with my wife. I love my kids and I want to spend time with them. And it should be the same way. Again, should not be out of obligation or duty, but because we want to. Because he has done so much for us. We spend time with others centered around him. Whether it's at church or in small group, our friends, talking about him. We tell others about him and what he has done for us. We could call these maybe spiritual disciplines. We want to set our preference aside and pursue Christ. And so as we look at these four aspects, our time, our treasure, our talent, and our ticker, our heart impacts everything. And God wants us to have a heart that is dying to self daily so we can pursue a further relationship with him. So in gospel application, I I initially asked the question, do you need to die to self today? And then I realized that's a dumb question because the answer is yes. So the question, a better question is, in what ways do you need to die to self today? Maybe the way you don't need to die to self, you need to die to sin. You just need to come to Jesus. You just say, I've been going through the motions. I've been following this thing and I've been going through this duty of religion and realizing I'm only doing it because I have to and I want to pursue a heart of worship a heart of the Father. In what way do we need to die to self today and then the next day and the next day and the next? And again, out of love for the Father and others. Every week we enter into a time of communion. So the elements are gonna be in the back today, uh, out in the foyer, so we get a chance to grab those. There's um, juice that represents the, the blood of Christ that was shed for us, the wafer that represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. And those elements, we get to remember, we get to viscerally taste and see that God is good. As we go, well, why, why should I set my preference aside? Why should I die to self? Because Jesus didn't just die to self, he died. He died so that we might have life, so that we can tell others about that life, so we can live that life out of joy, not obligation. Let me pray. The worship team will come back up and Feel free to take those elements as you see fit and we will sing some songs. And again, don't just sing the words. Don't just read the words. Feel them in your heart and be moved to joy, compassion to our God who loves you, who sent his son to die for you while you were a sinner. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for our time together this morning. I thank you that we can 
think about what it is that you have done, the finished work of your son on the cross, that we can think about his body and his blood that was shed and broken for us so that we might have life eternal, that we can tell others about that life, that we can be set free from the bondage of sin, that we can be free and experience real freedom, not under law, not under obligation, not a joy to serve a father out of God who loved us so much to do these things for us. So God, I pray that your heart would be our heart. We pray that your will that is rampant in heaven, unopposed, that it would also be true here on this earth, in my heart, in our life, in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our state, in our country, in the world. We want your will to be done. And we pray these things in Christ's name.